Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician in CMIO. I'm the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have Dr. Adam Carew and Dr. Dale Gold with me. And I am so excited to do this episode. The title here is What to Do with an Angry Physician. And this is the stuff that you're not going to get from studying for the boards or from some textbook. This is the practical hands-on stuff that physician informaticists get to deal with every day. And so Adam is the director of clinical informatics. Is that right, Adam? Yes, I'm the director of our medical group informatics. So Dale is the physician lead for optimization. And these are two great guys to get the opinion of how to deal with this because they deal with it. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. All right. Great. Uh, So if you guys would, maybe just, uh, we'll start with you, Dale. If you would just give a little bit about your background, how you got into informatics and a little bit about your journey here, and then uh, we'll switch over to Adam. Sure. So I got into informatics about three or four years ago, I basically got into it on the ground level. I was one of the physicians in my clinic that was the one that was tasked with doing all these training and keeping up with everything. And I liked doing it. I was warned when I uh, began that things are never going to be this slow ever again. So sort of learn as much as you can and uh, optimize as much as you can, customize while you can before your panel gets full. So I really took that to heart and I really looked for any kind of information that I could find out there. And one of those things that I found was uh, one of the classes that Adam was starting. Adam was started before me, and he was the only one doing this stuff at our large organization. And I went to one of his classes, and from that point, he recruited me. And really, at that point, I started teaching more and more people uh, to the point where now that I'm doing the large-scale planning of some of our big symposium events where we train 50 physicians at a time, four times a year, and also more involved with physician build and workflow engineering and things like that. So really from just working in the clinic to now really getting involved with making changes. And, and you both are at Kaiser, right? With Colorado? That's right. Okay, great. All right, Adam, do the same thing. Tell us a little bit about your journey here. Of course, yeah. No, it's, it's fairly similar to Dale's. It's just I started a few years before him in our medical group. And kind of the same thing. I kind of quickly became that kind of go-to in my local clinic where I was in a clinic of about 26 physicians. It was a mix of internists, family medicine, and pediatrics. And I just became interested in helping people. Opportunities kind of came along. We didn't have a formal informatics department in our medical group, but we had a kind of an epic team of physicians, and there was only a few of them. And they just would help with releases and updates and other issues that would come up. It eventually kind of transitioned into a formal informatics group, and I just kind of continued on that journey of really trying to focus on improving providers' lives in the system and all the technical systems we use so they have a a better experience, and hopefully that transcends to better patient care and improved wellness and just being better overall. That's what sounds like motivates a lot of us who go into this field. So it's great that uh, you're able to have that impact. So let's get to the meat of the matter here. Have either of you ever met an angry physician? 
take the first stab at that and I could say, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think it goes back all the way until when I was a resident. Our hospital I was at here in Denver, Colorado, was transitioning from a paper-based system to Epic. And there was a lot of angry physicians and just everyone else in the hospital system around that time. So that's probably my first taste of some of that anger. Yeah, I, I still see it. And we're a couple of years post go live. I think right now I'm seeing more of it when it has to do with acquisitions, people who have to switch EMRs, not going so much from paper to an EMR, but if you have to change your EMR, they still don't love that experience either. Are you guys finding when you guys do an acquisition, you probably are involved with the training, your current positions kind of calm down after a while, but the new ones will, of course, keep you busy? Yeah, I mean, we're a little bit insulated from kind of the absorbing kind of a, a whole cohort of docs, but we ha we're a very large med group of about 1,100 physicians, and uh, actually it's close to 1,200 now. And so there is some churn, too. So there's kind of that natural part of it where there are new people coming in, I think, generally, or at least newer kind of residents or doctors to the field were kind of trained throughout the, the EMR era. So I think there's a little bit of a trend with that. But yes, there's still those physicians that are still around that bring the anger. Yeah, we're doing some acquisitions. And sometimes when you acquire a practice, we're acquiring physicians who are in the later stages of their career. And their desire to learn a new system isn't at the peak here. They were hoping to kind of cruise it out to the end, but the group made a decision and they're coming on to Epic and they were on something else in their office and it's really painful for them. So they tend to get angry. So uh, Dale, what do you do with the doc that says all EMRs suck? I hate them all. It's turned me into a data entry clerk. Go from there. So typically, I would just move on and help the next person. Just kidding. <laughs> you can't do that. Sure. So from an angry physician, obviously, it's going to be more difficult and it's going to stress some of the physician or trainer's patients to push out some of these education and some of the training with someone who doesn't want it. But I think that the key is obviously having a physician side by side or teaching these classes really gives you an advantage to speak to somebody as a peer and you can really speak to the workflows and give examples on how these things help you but in the end some of these things are going to be more difficult but what we recommend what we try to do is more and more now as we get to more advanced and in terms of our groups medical informatics would be having the physicians earlier on in the process as some of this change management comes down i.e. adding new clicks and new reviewing things like that to make sure that they fit as natural as we can in the physician's workflow we try to make sure that at least when i'm consulted on something like this that if we are bringing something negative we like to try to look for something positive i.e. you're going to have to start doing something this way now but actually we're going to make it better for you and make you do less work in the end i like that strategy adam do you find that it's beneficial to take the cranky doctors and try to get them into the system to to lead initiatives or to kind of co-opt them into oh, taking on some of the training. Is that don't, hopefully that's not how you got Dale? <laughs> that he wasn't one of the cranky ones. No, Dale was not one of the cranky ones. I, I actually I vividly remember Dale in that class. He was in the back corner and he was just throwing out like good questions and ideas. Um, so I pegged him early on. So. <laughs> happy to be working with them. You know, I think there's some different strategies you can do with this. I think the reality is any physician who's angry with 
something that's happening in the system or just the system in general, it usually kind of boils down to that they're just resistant to change or they're, they fall in a different place along that kind of change spectrum from the early adopters all the way to the laggers. And I think along the lines of what Dale said, it's if you can get kind of a mounting force of folks that are like peers or in the same specialty or just well-respected, you can get them on board with some of these things early, not necessarily bringing in the most angry person to, to be in all the meetings for a project, but if you can get some leadership in there that is a true kind of leader out in the, on the front lines and get them on board, then it, I think that does help kind of bring the rest of those more angry or laggard folks all along. I think giving physicians a voice has been really helpful. Doctors tend to get mad when initiatives take place and they had absolutely no say in it. Even if they probably would have gone along with it, once they have no say in it, now their backs are up. So I, governance absolutely. has definitely helped me if putting in place some committees and getting the right people on those committees who tend to be vocal. That's great. We want you to be vocal. This is the place. This is the forum for it hopefully not in the middle of a training class, which is not the forum for it. So I, you guys have, I assume, some kind of governance process where your doctors can chip in on things? Correct. Uh, what I was thinking, though, was that something that you said, Mark, struck me as it, it's a big piece of that trust that they want all that explanation, all those details, I think, because physicians do feel somewhat disenfranchised throughout all of this, that we were the afterthought. It's not necessarily that these things were designed for physician usability and whatnot. So there's is a lack of trust that who's making these decisions and who's involved. And I think that informatics being involved is the key, but I think the challenge is that not many people even know what informatics means or who an informaticist is. That trust piece is key for all of us to earn that with your groups and showing that progress you can make and, and the good that you can do. And I think with more of that trust, you'll get more of that change management and, and with less explanation. And sometimes they're not wrong. <laughs> sometimes there really is functionality that was horribly designed. And it, I'll say, yeah, you're right. It's bad. I go along with them. Uh, but, oh, by the way, we still have to use it and we got to roll with it. There are certain pieces that I was dealing with recently related to a form that the vendor had put out that was designed. It forced tons of clicks and they could have designed it so much better. So, and I gave them a piece of my mind about it too. <laughs> so sometimes you, you, you take up for your docs and say, yeah, the EMR does suck sometimes. Um, I think we all do that. So Dale, what yeah, do you do? Oh, go ahead, Adam. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I think it's historically that's the way all these systems were, is they were developed to really meet meaningful use and all those requirements. Everything else about them was an afterthought. And that's why clinical informatics, medical informatics, pharmacy informatics, whatever, all the informatics, nursing informatics, the whole group, that's why they all came about, is to almost kind of try to right the ship and we're just in this unfortunate donut hole right now where we're, I think we're trying to make things better, but it's, we're not quite there yet. Yeah, no doubt. I assume both of you have some percentage of your time that is devoted to administration. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we do. I'm about, I'm about 60% time mm -hmm. now with uh, informatics. And then my other 40%, I'm, I'm doing clinical work. And Dale, how about you? I'm the same. 
Okay. So what do you do with the doctor that doesn't really like administrators? I mean, so that's a, a very common thread. There's physicians that just want to be clinicians and that's what they signed up for. And they just want to do that five days a week in the classic kind of ambulatory setting. And then there's physicians that want to do additional things. And then there's probably a small group of physicians that want to try to get out of doing certain things, whether that's getting out of meetings or getting out of some of the clinical work. But I think it's just, it's tough because I think you want to try and create an environment where those folks can pick those things that they like to do and stick to it. But it's definitely challenging. Dale, do you ever find that you get uh, people who treat you differently because you're wearing an administrator hat at times? I think that the good thing that I do, or I'd say the thing that I like about what we do when we hold these conferences is I feel like compared to most administrators, I think we're really lucky that we get this unique opportunity to get on the ground feedback. We take 50 physicians four times a year offsite. Uh, we, it's a three-day conference where we stay at a hotel outside of Denver, Colorado, somewhere away from their families and really engage them on learning how to use the EMR efficiently, better habits, uh, try to make them more competent, uh, more comfortable. And in that process, I mean, you're eating lunch, breakfast, dinner, uh, you're getting to know people. And I feel like you have more of a down-to-earth experience, which I'm very grateful for. I, I think more administrators would benefit from that opportunity to really spend time with uh, the people they represent. And I can speak separately too. Uh, I don't know if you're getting at this, but it, made, it reminded me of my days when I was starting to do this, where I really felt when I was doing it one day a week with my administrative role, I did feel that pressure from clinics, that judgment from others that you're not in clinic and you're burdening the others, even though you value, especially those probably listening to this are informaticists or know what it is, how valuable someone who can connect technology with clinical and operations can be. So your role is so valuable, but then again, you have others where you feel bad leaving them in clinic to see more patients and whatnot. There's so much that you just said that we could unwrap there. I, I love this. Number one, it sounds like informatics is a relationship business. That's how this really works. And so you're with that conference you guys have, that thing's fantastic. Three days offsite devoted to improving providers' lives. Yeah, that's one. And number two, you're seen visibly out there, known as the person who helps make the lives of practicing physicians better. And that's really important that separates you from the other administrators that are out there. Not all administrators have that luxury of being able to say, yeah, I am, my job is to try to make things better, obviously for the patients, and but also for the providers. Yeah, and I think that definitely helps, I think for our team to have that sort of mission that we all really do believe in to really stay strong and work harder for it. I also think it's really important that you are still practicing. That gives you street cred. The ability to say, I experienced the same thing you do, I think is valuable. What do you think, Adam? Is that something that relates with you? That's probably the most challenging portion, I think, of this work in general. The trying to do this balance. There was a period of my career for about two years where I was really like 50-50. And for some reason, I don't know why 60-40 feels better, but it does. And But the 50-50 felt really challenging because it almost felt like I was doing two full-time jobs, even though they were both 50% of my uh, FTE. But it's tough. You want to stay relevant, but you also want, me personally, I want to do the things that I think I can help 
our organization and the physicians with best. So it is a constant tug. You do, you get this fear that you're going to totally lose relevancy if you're no longer doing it. And so, I mean, that's the main reason why I've, I've, I don't have my own kind of primary care practice anymore, but I've tried to do lots of different kind of family medicine, urgent care, telehealth type roles. So I'm still using the system in different ways, still interacting with a variety of different physicians. Um, so they continue to know who I am and, and offer um, ways and solutions to, to help them out. I find something wrong with our EMR just about every time um, in it. So Dale, I'm sure you find that as well. And that helps you deliver that product that you, you you're, hey, we're going to deliver to you a better navigator or alert or whatever it is. Uh, do you find that you staying clinically in the system is making you a better informaticist? Yes, I think definitely some of the best work I've done is sort of based off of efficiencies I found for myself in terms of new workflows or new templates, express lanes, things like that are all things that I felt the pain and I've found ways to make it better. Recently, we've made some real progress, as Adam alluded to, in our transition towards more FTE in, in administration. We had some long discussions and made some progress finally convincing the higher-ups that we'd be actually even more valuable if we could be in clinical roles that could fluctuate based on whatever projects we need to work on, like Adam mentioned. If we need to be in urgent care to work on ASAP, or if we need to be uh, doing virtual care to check out how the um, chat workflows are working, or whether it's in clinic based on a new upgrade, the flexibility to be everywhere we need to be versus being stuck to sort of one role has really been great for exactly what you're talking about so that we could feel every workflow. And we could have a whole show on this about the best way to structure provider informaticists. 50-50 kills people. It's just, it is brutal. We all go through it. I don't know if it's going to become like a rite of passage, but... Anyway, I think once you can get out of having a panel for primary care, life becomes so much better. But I do want to, let's get back to the angry doctor. I want to go throw out another one here. So what do you do with a doctor that had an opportunity to talk about an initiative, they didn't get their way, and they're still angry? Because doctors, in, clinically, they get their way. And so when they don't get their way, sometimes that doesn't sit so well. What do you do then? Yeah, you're making this a lot tougher on us, Mark, with these questions. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing with anyone that is kind of raising a stink or is, is a bit more angry, most of the time, I think they just want to be heard. I was just at a meeting this morning of a, of a group of directors in our med group, and one of the, the, this was an operational lead, but she said that just by going to this cardiology department meeting, which she doesn't attend regularly because she kind of oversees a lot of these departments, but she went the last few. And I think just like kind of hearing those people and letting them get some of their stresses off their chest sometimes actually like de-escalates the issue. So that's what I found whenever we've had a major change in our system or our vendor dramatically changes, like for instance, where you place your order that was that's very disruptive and there was i mean there was a doc in our region that actually emailed our vendor directly to complain about it and brought up all sorts of kind of accusations that it was going to be a safety issue and all this stuff and, and so obviously that circles back to us and but the reality is i think they just a lot of times they just want to be heard and then if you can the position we're in where we have 
obviously the clinical side that we have the understanding, but we also have the background um, more often than not of why this change is coming, whether it's regulatory or just it's the way the system is going to be designed because it's going to gain benefits down the road. And I think if you listen to them, they get mad, they get angry, they get all that off their chest. And then you explain to them some of the reasons why this is this way um, and then give them a nugget of like how it's going to be better in the future. And I think if you can do that process, I think I've been fairly successful at kind of at least turning some of those folks or at least making them, you know, less angry and vocal. So I'm turning on open notes in our system and some of the docs are fighting it. They, they had their opinion, they voiced it and they're still voicing it. And so I'm wondering, Dale, in situations like that where you got to do it, it for whatever the reason is something you're going to do, it's your initiative, let's say, do you take it personally? Do you ever feel like a punching bag sometimes? How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a, a good question, too, in, in terms of taking that personally and things like that. I, I really think it does come down to understanding how to communicate what we know. When Adam and I, we sit at meetings where these decisions are made and we make these decisions for the patients and the physicians and we block countless things that they'll never see. So I think that it does come down to what we're learning is doing a better job at really trickling down through people they trust, like in their department and whatnot, sort of the why we need to do things. And if it is something that I've built and whatnot, and people aren't using it, I certainly do take some of that personally, but I really try to make everything with them in mind and test them and make sure that they're successful. We have, I guess, a little bit some success in our group is so Adam may speak more to some of that than me in the sense of I feel like things like that aren't as big of a deal these days if, if we were going to turn on open notes we would sort of do that I don't know Adam what do you what do you think has changed yeah it's tough to say so we actually when I mean, we turned on open notes about a year and a half ago uh, maybe it was about two years ago now and I can tell you leading up to that it was like literally it was like mass hysteria people were freaking out it's that natural part of a, a process, like, because in, in your mind, you're like, oh, man, like, all, my entire note that I typically write, and yes, everyone has access to it, but that's going to immediately be available to the patient. That's a little bit anxiety provoking. And I think, but, but what happens is I think in the case of open notes, specifically, a lot of those fears are actually like unrealized, and they ended up being not much of an issue. So it's kind of this mounting new kind of threat that's coming and then it usually kind of de-escalates i mean there's always going to be some folks that are going to click the button to not share a note every single time mm -hmm. um, but i think the vast vast majority end up coming around to that do you ever feel when they are attacking your build that they're attacking you uh, can you differentiate between when they're mad at just regulatory things, they take it out on the EMR, or they blame the EMR, or they blame you, it's kind of misplaced. But we have a customer service role, too, that's pretty, pretty strong in our roles. Do you feel that sometimes they're coming after you? Yeah, in our group, I'm kind of the put together a lot of our main communications to the med group from an informatics standpoint. And so <laughs> I'm very thoughtful and get a lot of feedback from other folks that have kind of formal education around communication and written communication and that sort of thing. And because it, I think it, it is critical that you explain these things um, in the correct way. For instance, a good example is 
with reconciling medications that are coming in from outside systems. That is like something that we have to do. It's part of the regulatory requirements. And to, to, to satisfy that, we have to put in a hard stop. And I mean, as all informaticists know, like hard stops, you got to use as judiciously and carefully as you can, because those are the things that kind of generate the most disruption and the most anger. But a lot of times this gut reaction to go, okay, we're putting this hard stop because it's regulatory. Let's just say it's not our fault. This is the government. They're making us do this. And you obviously can't say it that way. But if you kind of blend in that there's this regulatory component to this, we've looked at all the different options that are available on the, the palette. And we're choosing this option because we think this is going to be the least disruptive and the, the best way to fit into a clinician workflow. That tends to, I think, go a lot better. Um, with so that's another clinic. strategy there is deflection. I, I do this all the time. I blame the vendor. I go, can you believe what Epic did again to us? They're horrible. <laughs> so yeah. you, the, the federal government, it does sometimes help to deflect some of the anger just for your own peace of mind. Absolutely. So let's, I got two more types of docs I want to talk about. Let's do the passive aggressive doctor. This one is the one's like, yeah, everything's fine. They play apathetic. They won't engage with you. But then they run to the CEO and complain about how bad things are. And that makes you feel like, gee, the CEO is coming to you going, well, what are you doing? Are you doing your job? And it makes you feel kind of awkward. Does that ever happen to you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the fact is with passive aggression is everywhere. <laughs> and I, I think it comes up quite a bit. And I think what happens specifically in my in my role, because I report directly to our CMIO, is a lot of times um, folks will, something that I've maybe emailed or kind of communicated back after someone had emailed me, they'll end up kind of replying. But instead of replying to me, they, they reply to my boss and kind of go, hey, what's up with this? And I think it's just a part, honestly, it's just a part of, of being human. And I think you're going to have those folks in there that are going to always just go right to the go to the C-suite and, and start emailing and communicating with those folks. But having that good working relationship with those folks and them knowing how to reach back out to us and, and close the loop um, is usually what makes things a lot better. Yeah, that's the strategy that I found to be very effective is most now these days, the the leaders are familiar with the issues, they understand, they get the doctors are venting and frustrated, and they're usually very good at de-escalating or saying we're going to look into it and then contacting their physician informaticist to engage. So how about the disengaged doctor? This is the ones that say, hey, you can do whatever you want with your clinical decision support and pop-ups because I'm only going to use verbal orders or I'm going to fax over paper orders from my office. I'm not going to touch that tool of yours. So what do you do with that person? I think the, the most common example that we see is uh, based on training. It's sort of the difference of someone who signs up for one of our classes versus somebody who's assigned to our classes, i.e. sometimes Adam may have people that are required to go. I think that that's the challenge when someone is totally not engaged with making mm -hmm. themselves better and, and sort of learning what we have to give. I think that you know can be the challenge for us in terms of getting through to them in terms of our true motivation is just to help on their side and not really pushing anything. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I think a lot of times it's the, 
it's a challenge to find out kind of why they're disengaged. Well, I know what Dale and I experience a lot is we'll get a message from one of the local clinical chiefs that just is like, oh, this doctor's just struggling like with their in-basket or completing notes. And they're becoming less engaged with the group and the clinic and they're not involved when we do have short meetings. And I think a lot of times it's, there's a little bit of a blame almost like put on like, oh, this is just because they're not efficient in the system. And, and I think a lot of times what it is is it's important to find out kind of the root reason why they're kind of di so disengaged. And that may transcend into things in the EHR or in just clinical care in general, but typically it's not specifically like they can't type or they don't know how to click a mouse. It's usually some other issue that's just manifesting that way. For the majority, I, I think what you just said is really important. For the majority of the providers that I've worked with, I have found that if they're disengaged, there's something driving that. It's they're burnt out, they've got something bad going on at home, or they're two weeks away from retirement. There's a, a reason for them being disengaged. And understanding that reason is the first step. That's spot on, Adam. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's uh, always the easiest for people to blame the EHR as sort of the new thing that's causing the problem. I think it's much harder to have the real conversations about, is this person an inefficient doctor? Is, is there problems with their training or their clinical care? But it's, it's really like non-confrontational to say, oh, well, they're just not efficient in the EHR, send them to classes, and then everything will be solved. I think that's the easy way out. I think the key with all of this is the change portion. That's usually why someone is kind of mo is most angry or at least manifesting that way. And we just need to have their voice heard. It's the environment that we work in and make these decisions in is so complex that it's difficult for others to really understand what's possible and what's not possible and how much things cost and what's not feasible. So I think it's important to translate as much as you can in terms of why can't we just do this X, Y, Z? And we know in our roles that A, that's not possible with the vendor or B, that costs $400,000. So I think that there's definitely a piece of unfair information where in the IT side, we understand a little bit to know what's possible and what's not possible. And I think providers can get frustrated on the other side because they just think it should just be like you said, Mark, they want what they want and they want to get it. I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience but sometimes there's a doctor out there who they have a reputation of being, to be honest, a real jerk. And it's a behavioral problem. They get their way and they throw temper tantrums that can be sometimes really ugly. And they take it out on one of your trainers, not another doctor. They, they take it out on an analyst or I, I hate when this happens because sometimes you got to go doctor to doctor and go, hey, that behavior, it was bad, and you're going to have to come before a group of your peers and sit at the end of a very long table and explain why you're doing that to someone who's not a doctor. I hope you guys have never had to do that. I hate being, I'm not supposed to be the enforcer of good behavior. Honestly, operations are supposed to do that. But if they haven't taken care of it and they berate a trainer or something, you ever find that you have to get involved there? Yeah. I mean, I think there's sometimes where I think folks can be inappropriate or like you gave the example, kind of berate the trainer, blame the trainer, kick the trainer out of their office. 
I mean, fortunately, I think in, in our group here and generally, I would say in Colorado, people are quite nice here. <laughs> it's a great place to live. <laughs> that I don't think we've had to deal with that too much. Yeah, um, I work on the East Coast. We get... <laughs> We, we get a different breed. Oh, um, I mean, I, would, yeah, I also think maybe Adam and I, you know, we've written about this and kind of gotten on a pedestal about the need for supporting training and things like that. So maybe in our region, we have the opposite problem where uh, we don't really get enough training. So I, I feel like if someone actually had a trainer in their office, they would really take advantage of that versus yell at it because it's such a unicorn for them, something that they don't see all the time. That's a great point. That is, well-supported doctors tend not to be particularly angry at their trainers. Uh, they appreciate them and see the value. So, well, let's wrap it up there, guys. That was fantastic. Thank you both. Hey, if uh, Adam, if people want to reach you or Dale, can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Is that all right? Oh, absolutely. Sounds good. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I have been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.